Hey everybody, welcome back to Freepcast. My name is Rob Murray. I am your host. Freepcast is brought to you by the Free Press Media and is recorded at the KMSU studios on the campus of Minnesota State University, Mankato. Today on Freepcast, we've got Free Press photographer Jackson Forder on the show. And uh, this is kind of a treat for me because this is a chance for a couple of journalists to talk about uh, the work they do. And um, you may have seen uh, a week ago Sunday, the Free Press published a rather lengthy article about um, a two men in Wells, uh, a gay couple in Wells, and uh, one of the men died of cancer. And uh, we had uh, a whole bunch of really great Jackson Forderer uh, photos um, that were the anchor for that for that project. So Jackson comes in, and he and I he and I talked about um, the story behind the story, so to speak. We talk about how he got access to these guys and how the whole story kind of came about. And uh, you'll you'll hear us explain um, a lot of that. But I'll I'll just for context sake, I'll just tell you that Jackson um, embarked on this project in 2013, I believe. When he uh, he he's actually from Wells, and he he knows this couple. And when he heard that one of the men was was very very sick, he he got the idea that he wanted to sort of document. Um, the guy's name is Scott Radke. He wanted to document um, Scott's illness and his ultimate demise. And um, these these guys were okay with it, and they and they and they gave him the kind of access that few journalists ever get. Um, and what he came back with was um, a set of just stellar, breathtaking, and heartbreaking images. And then um, he kind of sat on those images for a while and brought them to the Free Press newsroom and said, hey, can we? is there anything we can do with these photographs that I took? And we all took a look at them, and and we all knew right away that we needed to try to do something to get these photographs in the paper. They were that good. And so the idea we came up with was to send uh, send Rob to Wells, and um, our idea was to try and come up with a way to make the story current and relevant. And, you know, that's the thing that newspapers will try to do when they've got content like this that's kind of old. And so I tried to do that. And what turned out, um, what came out in the reporting is that, that it, it wasn't really there. It wasn't really possible to do that. But we also knew that we we could not just let these photographs go unused. So in, in kind of a rare move for for a newspaper, we decided to, to, to run the photos and the story um, of Scott's partner, Chris. He, he's kind of the main the main character in the story. We decided his story was just so interesting that um, we thought readers would want to hear the story and to see these photos. So we, um, in a, in, in, uh, like I said, kind of a rare case for newspapers, we, we ran a story that has no current uh, news value, but um, we all thought it turned out pretty well. And um, there's really no denying uh, kind of the brilliance of Jackson's photographs. So um, we brought Jackson on to talk about the story behind the story, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy hearing about it. And we are here today with Jackson Forderer. Hello, Hi. Jackson. Hi, Rob. How's it going? Pretty good today. Jackson and I just got done with an assignment, so we've been together for a good uh, hour and a half here, yep. sort of. Yep. Minus drive time. Um, anyway, we are not here to talk about uh, the guy's exhibit at the Hillstrom. We're here to talk about the massive reporting project you and I embarked on 
that was published uh, on Sunday in the Mankato Free Press. Uh, you may or may not have seen it. Um, uh, it involved telling the story of a of a guy in Wells, Minnesota, um, a gay man whose uh, partner uh, died in 2013. And um, the reason we did this story is because uh, our guest today, Jackson, took some extraordinary photographs of that. And uh, the reason I wanted to have him on the podcast today is because I wanted to get kind of behind the story of the story and find out how Jackson came to be in their lives and how he got access to um, a really an intimate level of access to uh, Scott Radke's death. So um, tell me, uh, Jackson, how you came to know these guys. You, you're, you're, you're from Wells, correct? Correct. I uh, moved to Wells when I was four and uh, grew up there before going off to college. Um, so yeah, um, I lived in Wells uh, around 2009 to 2014 um, and they lived uh, less than a block away from where I lived with my parents and um, I kind of was out with some friends and bumped into Chris and because Chris was you know Chris goes out quite a bit and bumped into him and we started talking and I went over to their house and met Scott and uh so Chris, you we're saying is Chris. His name is Chris Bonander. Yes, and he is uh, the main kind of the main character in the story that we published over, over, over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And his partner, uh, his name was Scott Radke. Correct. And yep. I believe Scott still has family uh, in the area. Yep. And so Chris, and Chris is from kind of all over. Yeah. He doesn't have family left anymore. I don't think. Not too much. No. Um, yeah. So I met them, and when I met them, Scott was already. Uh, in stage four cancer and um, this is pancreatic cancer. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so it was, you know, it was very physically apparent when you met him that you know, there's something, something was wrong. And um, so I, Chris told me that he had stage four pancreatic cancer. Um, and we had a mutual friend that I cannot remember his name right now, but I asked. His mutual friend, I said, you know, do you think they would allow me to, to take pictures of them? And he said, I think they're pretty open. Why not? Just go ask them. So I went with that friend over to their house one day, and Scott was in his chair that he had kind of notoriously been known to be sitting in, and it's kind of where he lived the last few months of his life. Um, and I was pretty nervous, sweating palms and seeing how oh, these guys are going to just shoo me off or tell me to leave or whatever. And I just said, it's okay if I, you know, take photographs of you guys through this whole process. So what did you use as a, what was your reason for thinking like that? What did you say to explain to them that why this might be a good idea? Well, so the initial news hook, I guess, was that um, gay, gay marriage was becoming legal in the state of Minnesota and that they had become officially legally engaged, which for them being partners for, what, 16, 17 years, that's a pretty big deal for them to, to be finally become legally engaged. Um, so they had planned to have this backyard uh, wedding, and, and that was sort of my initial, 
idea was to, you know, wow, like this story of this guy getting married in their backyard and the one has cancer and they finally are able to get married and, you know, that would, you know, that would be such a great story. Um, and then, then sort of after getting to know them a little bit um, and talking with Chris and seeing what was going on, that it, 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 I think everybody knew that Scott was probably not going to make it that long, um, just based on what the doctors had said. Um, I think they gave him about three months, and you know, Chris was able to keep him alive for six, seven months, which was amazing in itself. So. Um, but that was the initial idea was to kind of revolve around this the you know the legalization of of gay marriage in in Minnesota. Um, but then it it transformed into Chris being the hospice worker and because that's pretty much all he did was I'd go over there and you know so after I got their 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 approval, I would go over, I guess kind of whenever I had free time i I had a part-time job, but so you were not you were not a working journalist at that point, or, not not or of, not officially with any organization or with the free press. Um, I was doing some part time with Minnesota Public Radio, but this was not assigned by NPR. So, um, so yeah, so I'd go over. I don't know, kind of when I had some free time, and it it became obvious that, that Chris was the the hospice worker taking care of his partner. Um, kind of twenty four seven. I mean, whatever Scott needed. So it should also be pointed out. I'm for. I'm guessing a lot of people who are who will listen to this maybe haven't read the novella of a story that we <laughs> ran. Right. Um, Chris is on disability. Um, he has yep. a. He has. He suffers from mental illness, and he, he has. He, had, he has a difficult time holding a, a job. Yep. Um. So. So that I mean, so he is. He was able to be there for Scott, basically mm-hmm. full time, um, yeah. taking care of him in any in every possible way. Right. Um, but you know, even so, I mean, it, it's that was probably even more than a full time job. You know, as far as hours concerned, um, and you could definitely tell that there were days that were good and there were days that were bad. Um, for Scott or for Chris? Uh, for both of them. For both of them. Um, you know, there was, I remember Scott's birthday, they kind of had this party in their backyard, um, and so a bunch of people came over and celebrated and, and said hi and just said happy birthday, and um, Scott went outside, and that was kind of a big deal for him to just get outside and get some fresh air, um, so that was a good day, um, but there were other days where Chris, you know, Scott didn't keep quite a regular sleep schedule which kept Chris awake a lot of the time and um so like one of my favorite photographs from that story is is Chris smoking a cigarette right by their window and you can just see the stress on his face of like that's my favorite photograph too of like I'm dead tired but like I gotta I gotta keep going Mm -hmm. for my partner so Yep. So take me back to that day when you asked them for access. What 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 was their what was their reaction like? I mean, did they ask you how how did they wonder how many times you're going to come over? How long are you going to be here? Where where are the photos going to be published? Did they have any questions like that? No, and like and like I said, I was very um, I was very nervous, just thinking that they're going to say no, get out of here, and 
So I was almost not expecting a yes response. And so I kind of, I didn't know how to follow that up. Like, okay, now, now what do I say? Like, um, but I, I did talk to them and I said, you know, I, I, I do freelance work for Minnesota Public Radio and that's kind of where I imagine this going. Um, and like, like I said, initially the hook was that I was talking to them about them getting married and so they knew that I was in it for at least that length of period. And that was, oh, let me think here, probably four or five months from when I initially met them was was like August 1st. Um, and so, um, and then when things started to kind of turn for the worse, um, I just kept going every day and... So what 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 kind of arrangement did you have set up with them that you could just show up whenever you wanted, or was no. it day to day? You had to knock on the door and say, "Can I come in today?" Or what? What was that? What did um, you set up? Um. The, well, and that's sort of the 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 easiness of it was that they never turned me away. They never turned you away. Correct. Um. But I, yeah, I was always um, conscious of they could both be sleeping or they, you know, and I would either, you know, text Chris and I'd say, hey, what's going on today at two? Can I come by? Sure, come on by. Or sometimes I would get a, a text saying, eh, not not today, don't, don't come over today. Okay. <laughs> Um, so it was a lot of communication with Chris. And is that because of, um, I mean, did, did you get a sense that that was because of, um, Scott was having a particularly bad day? I, I didn't know. And I didn't really ask. Okay. That was sort of my presumption or that. Cause he was going through, I mean, he was, I mean, yeah. he was nauseous a lot. He, right. he, he didn't yes. do, he didn't do, did he do chemo? No, they decided to not do chemo. Right, they weren't going to do chemo or radiation mm-hmm. because it, it wasn't, wasn't going to work. Right, it wouldn't help anyways. Um, so, yeah, I just, you know, assumed that, you know, and maybe Scott said, I don't want him over today or mm-hmm. whatever. But, um, yeah, it was just sort of a, a, an arrangement with Chris to let him know when I was planning to come over or I would know my work schedule and I'd say, I'm free on Wednesday, I'll stop by. You know, and so I, and that was also the easy part of living a block away from them. Like I could literally see their house from outside of my house, mm-hmm. and kind of know, you know, is Chris outside smoking a cigarette? You know, I could go over and just say hello, and not when he's outside, and then I wouldn't be sort of interfering with what's going on inside. And so, and usually he'd be fine with letting me in then, but. Or I would see their light on or, or something like that. And so it was kind of a a process initially, just kind of knowing my boundaries and, and things like that. But I think over time it was, you know, it was just a, a mutual thing with Chris that does today work, and, and generally it would. So, yeah. so you would go over there and then um – would they just, you know, go about their business and you would be a fly on the wall kind of taking yeah. photographs or yeah. how would that work? <laughs> That's always the, the, the always that big sort of ethical discussion about do you be a fly on the wall and say nothing, or, you know, and or do you, 
and I'm a little more lax on that. Like I don't need to sit in the corner and not say anything for five hours. And you know, I don't, cause he, I don't know. You're a human before you're a photographer. And you were his friend. You were, you were, you were yeah, we were I mean, friends. You... Yeah. I guess we we're still friends. Like if I saw him on the street, I'd say hi to him today. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would go over and I don't know, Chris would be, uh, the, the cigarette rolling machine. Mm-hmm. Chris would be doing that. And Scott would be, you know, eating some soup and they'd be watching American Idol and laughing at the bad singers or whatever, and just kind of having a normal, a normal day. And so I would just say hi to them and their puppies and um, kind of sit down and, you know, we'd maybe talk for five minutes or something. And then I would just kind of take pictures and hang out as long as I could. And So you, you must have a, for every photo we, we ran in the free press, you probably have a hundred that didn't run. <laughs> Potentially, yes. I, I've never counted the exact number but that's you you probably shot hundreds of frames of these two that's yeah tell me about the process of um you know paring them down to your to the to the eventual 13 that that ran right press oh boy um well so the initial edit was um that's uh, photographer speak for (laughs) paring down the photo yes so the initial, well, you know, first of all, the, the first edit is, and and yes, I'm a professional photographer, but we still shoot pictures that are out of focus, that are out of exposure, that are blurry, you know, et cetera. So part of the initial part is cutting that stuff out, um, getting the stuff that's in focus in the right exposure, um, and then kind of taking those and then deciding well how is this story going to be told with Chris being the main character being the main health care worker for Scott um, and it, it is a challenge to get it down to so few when you've taken so many um, and so initially I started kind of doing things a little bit in a chronological order so maybe taking one or two from each day. Like here's the best one I did from this time that I went over there or this, you know, happened or whatever. Um, and so then that, you know, took it down to, who I don't know, 40 pictures, somewhere in there. And that's, and then it gets really, that's when it gets really tough is when basically with each picture, you're trying to say something different about the story or in a sense you can also reinforce what's been said as far as he was tired or Scott was I don't know kind of fragile and and needed you know marijuana or or whatever Um, and it also should be noted that you went into this project um with the intent to tell the story through photos alone. Yes, that was the, the initial intent. There wasn't going to be a story to go along with it initially. Right. Initially, yes. So, um, so you're trying to tell a story. Yep, just, well, through beginning, photos. Beginning and, to end through photos and captions. Correct. Um, and that's and that's part of what, you know, what, you know, when editing the story is that 
is there any major gaps of what you're not seeing that would tell even if it's not my favorite photograph that I'm trying to think what it would be just sort of showing their their personality sometimes mm -hmm. um uh, I'm trying to think of some specific photo but you know like not every photo is going to be your favorite but you have to pick some that are, are very storytelling mm -hmm. or show a glimpse of their personality or, or another facet of the story. Um, and so if there's any sort of gaps in there, then, you know, that's, that's the advantage of, you know, digital editing these days is that you can go back and say, well, we're missing this of, you know, Chris drinking with his buddies. Mm -hmm. And it's, then it's easy to go back and pull that one from Scott's birthday or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so then um, I worked with Pat Chrisman, the other photographer at the Free Press, and we kind of pared it down to about 16 or so. So this is... This is about last last fall. So we're... There's a jump in there's a jump in time here because you took the photos <laughs> with the intent to publish them through Minnesota Public Radio. Yeah. And they said no. You had to bring that up, didn't you? So well <laughs> No, you, no, you, that's yes, yes. Uh, we there was so a, then they there was a gap. there, right? The yes. The photos kinda sat there and I I didn't know what to do with them, but I wanted them published. Okay. So here's what really happened <laughs> was that I was on an assignment at the Mayo Civic Center. Okay. And I'm leaving, and there was this dart tournament next door. Well, guess who happened to be in the dart tournament with his friends from Wells? Chris. Chris. So I saw Chris. And, you know, I saw him, and he just, holy cow, hey, how are you doing? You know, we're just kind of catching up. And, um, and I just thought, oh, my gosh, I still have not publish their story and I need to like I don't it doesn't matter if it's been four years five years it's still a powerful story um so I wanted it out there um and basically at that point was when I you know informed you know you and others at the free press that I've got this body of work I don't know what to do with it and you know to to your guys's credit you made it you know fresh and um, still relevant and well, that was that was that was the idea initially we were, gonna, <laughs> we were going to try and come up with a way to make the story current or yeah. to find a way to that there'd be some new relevant angle we could use to because that's that's what we do typically in the yeah industry we need to have a it, some kind of a current news hook to yep. justify doing the story and then we and then we sent me down there to try and find that, uh -huh. and it's not there. <laughs> yeah, and that and that's okay. I mean, that's that's our job is to try to make it fresh and relevant. But sometimes, well, it then just, that's when we decided to just these yeah. photos are too good not to use. Mm -hmm. Let's just tell the guy's story. Yeah, be upfront with the readers and say, hey, we there's there's no nothing new here. <laughs> this is an old story, yeah. but you've never heard it, and we think you should hear it. Uh -huh. And so that's and then and then there goes a whole another level of yep. photo editing, right? Because you had to pare what you had down to right. just a choice, select yeah. few photos, and that had to be hard. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we we had the core photos there. Um, there were some to kind of take in and out and live with this or not live with this, but and and then part of it, you know, was matching it with what 
you had written too of you know this is a retelling of of those months that Scott was home on hospice care and mm-hmm. um, um, and that's you know and that's I still wish that we had I don't know uh, we were trying to get this photo of Scott and Chris together as a younger happy couple Cause, I mean that does that is part of their story is that they found each other and 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 you found things out just by talking to him that I didn't know about either I mean just his whole trip to Washington and how he just basically left Scott for a little bit and and then they bump into each other again and (laughs) that's pretty amazing I mean I didn't know that and that's um so I mean there's obviously there's you know drawbacks to only having taken pictures of them for a certain amount of months and it doesn't yeah fully shows Chris's story of you know and that's the other piece is that you know he does have those mental health issues and it's I don't know maybe that doesn't come across a lot in the photos it maybe it does maybe it doesn't but I I don't know if it's so apparent that's a good yeah I think I think it's a good example of of there are some things you can't there's some things that I can't do with my words, and there's some things you can't do with a photo. And right. I think when those, when these two things come together, that's what makes really good journalism. Right. Um, but are there photos that you and I and I, I know the answer to this, but are there <laughs> photos that we we chose not to run because they were too graphic? There were a few. Um, well, there were some in the like sixteen or so that we had. Um, I actually went to do kind of a a word for word thing with with Chris at one point about the captions and, and this that, is this is way back before this you is were way back press. yep um cuz Chris was very particular about this word needs to be this and this happened this and and in some ways he's 100% right that that the, the chronology needs to be correct and we need to be accurate mm-hmm. as far as what happened what day um, Accuracy is important, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, I went. I forget where I was going with that. But yeah, so I had a picture of um, Scott when he had after he had passed, and they had the the Irish wig, and so people were coming in, and I I remember. Um, Let me just jump in here for listeners sure. who don't know this. There was a point in the story where Scott died, right. and the funeral home couldn't come get his body for several hours. So, so Scott was laying, yep. his corpse was laying in the house while the town was getting news of his his passing and coming to to Chris's to, to their house to wish them well. And yes, and there's his body still there. Yep. <laughs> kind yeah, of, kind of yeah. an awkward couple of hours. Yeah. Well, yeah. So and the, you were, and you were, were you there for? So what happened was, I remember the the day that I was home, um, and Chris came over and talked to my parents and said, hey, let let Jackson know that Scott has passed. And so they told me right away and went over there, and, you know, Chris was obviously in shambles and and you know but um 
And so the funeral home actually was had to go uh, pick up another body earlier that day in mm-hmm. Iowa, and they couldn't make it back to Wells until you know seven, eight at night. So yeah, there was this not 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 their fault or anything. No, it's just, I mean no, it's no, a no. small funeral home. Right, they, they get a call, they got to go. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there, so I went over there and there was this period where all these, you know, Chris's friends were coming over and, um, and what's interesting to me is that me being so worried about doing this initially and they'd say no or whatever. Um, and I'll never forget a professor of mine at at Missouri that worked at the Star Tribune told me that after time people want their story to be told there's a lot of people that put up whatever walls or red tape but whatever but you know people want their stories to be told and so i remember being at the house and people coming and grabbing me and just saying get a picture of me holding his hand get a picture of me next to scott and I obliged and, you know, and, and most of them I knew I wasn't going to use or publish, but just that they had given me this access. So, you know, it's kind of like a, a favor in return. I mean, did they want you to give them a copy of the yeah. pictures? Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, because Scott meant that much to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a little background about Scott, and if you haven't read the story, was that, you know, he was a hospice worker himself. And so he worked at the nursing home in Wells and, you know, had worked there so long that all these people that had older relatives die or, or, you know, they got to know Scott through that process. And so that's how people knew him and, like, he just was loved by a lot of different people. Um, So, yeah, so there were photos that were Chris kind of saying his goodbyes um not the exact moment of death but you know the corpse is still there um he's still in the hospital bed um so there's one where chris is kind of putting a blanket up on scott and uh, later chris requested that we don't use that one because it was pretty pretty graphic um it showed his face and so that was chris didn't want that so i said no problem so that's what we did um so yeah <laughs> can i read this quote yeah i was just before? gonna say uh, <laughs> jackson has, has brought a quote <laughs> to share with us regarding photojournalism and kind of um so yeah, this is ahead. uh his name is james Noctway. he's a pretty famous photojournalist um and i remember hearing this quote he has a movie about himself or like a documentary about himself. Um, And he says, the worst thing is to feel that as a photographer, I am benefiting from someone else's tragedy. This idea haunts me. It's something I have to reckon with every day because I know that if I ever allowed genuine compassion to be overtaken by personal ambition, I will have sold my soul. The only way I can justify my role is to have respect for the other person's predicament. The extent to which I do that 
is the extent to which I become accepted by the other. And to that extent, I can accept myself. So for me, it, it, it comes down to, has this person allowed you into their life? And do they trust you and respect you or to know that you're going to truthfully tell their story? Um, and so it's, it, it, it's difficult. It's, you're dealing with death and it, it's, it's tough. It's not easy. And, you know, there is emotion and there's, you know, and so, and the, the camera kind of is, can be kind of a shield from, from some of that to kind of, um, a shield for you. Yeah. Um, but you're still human and you see these people losing a loved one and that's tough. <laughs> Um, so there, it's kind of this, it's a, it's a tightrope of like, you, you can't be too emotional or you're going to be crying with them, you know, they can't, mm -hmm. but on the other end, you can't be robotic and not experience things. And, and so, um, and part of it is that you're, you're there sort of. I don't know. I mean, maybe you kind of sensed that when we went down to meet with Chris is that now Chris and I can kind of talk about some times that happened and sort of in a weird way, laugh about it or something, you know, that we, we share these. <clears throat> Chris, Chris wanted to have his story told. Yes. So, I mean, for people, you know, once again, for people who don't, who were not, uh, who haven't read the story, um, which was, or, a, or even a, if you had, if, even if you have the story, you wouldn't know this. Um, so before the actual interview with Chris, we went down there so he could meet me. Yep. Because he needed to be comfortable with this yes. person he was going to you know, trust <laughs> with telling his story. Right. And that was, I mean, Chris is a funny dude. I'm not going yeah. to lie. He's oh, kind yeah. of a trip. Yeah. Um, super, super nice. Yeah. Just a really, really nice, genuinely kind-hearted man. Yeah. Um, but he just needed to see me in the flesh and yep. talk to me and get a vibe that I wasn't mm -hmm. going to screw him over. Right. And we did that. And then a few weeks later, I went back down there by, by myself and um, talked to him for five hours. And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he'll talk to you. That's, there's no problem there. The beginning of my, um, and I recorded the whole thing, and I, I went back a couple of couple of days ago and listened to just the first few minutes of the conversation and it's it's kind of funny because it's him mentally preparing <laughs> to go to go through this story yeah and telling me he, he doesn't want this to be like he's at a psychiatrist and i didn't say anything to him but i said buddy this is going to be exactly <laughs> like you're at a psychiatrist <laughs> yeah well yeah and but that's, it, that's and that's what it was he just he just poured everything out and he cried <laughs> he cried several times mm -hmm. through that conversation um, as did I. It's kind of yeah. it's really hard to to listen. Yeah. My my theory on that, and it's just kind of to piggyback off what you were saying, is um, I think you're doing everybody a disservice when you when you choose to not let your heart in. Correct. Yes. And you probably did this with your with with your photograph too. Is you you have to let that part of your of your brain aid you and kind of steer you. Mm -hmm. to help in your case point the camera in my case 
the words to choose. Yeah. And if I if I wouldn't have, you know, felt that emotion with him as he told the story, it would have been a far different telling. Mm-hmm. I mean, this could very well have just been a blow by blow account. Right to go with your photographs, but I I I can't do it that way. I only know right. one way to do it. But right. um, yeah, so kind of the same thing as you yeah. were feeling that day. Yeah, and and I I've talked to some people, and <laughs> they said you guys should have put a Kleenex box in the newspaper with that story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a heartbreaker, but I mean that's uh, that's the uh, Chris has definitely had. A, a painful life um but even i i don't remember when but pretty early on when i went over his his laugh is yeah so, so it's the greatest laugh in the world and he gets a he gets a kick out of a lot of different little things and mm-hmm. whatnot so um it is kind of uh contagious yeah <laughs> yep so yeah um I don't know. I, his story is definitely not over. I mean, he's still living in Wells, and he's got friends, and so I wish him the best as well. So you may have already answered this question, but if it, were there any photos that you didn't get that you wished? Who? Good question. You could have gotten, and I know that you were focusing in, in this project. You were just focusing on kind of Chris or uh, Scott's death. Yeah, um, but are. Even even within those within those parameters, is there are there any photos that you were not able to get that, in retrospect, you think could mm. have helped in telling the story? Um. Well, two that come to mind are the hospice. There was so there was an actual hospice nurse that mm-hmm. would come by. I think once a week, and kind of. Uh, give them fresh sheets, um, new medication, things like that. Um, and she did not want to be photographed, and that was okay with me because she wasn't like an, a major part of the story. But just sort of seeing the level of um, what am I looking for? What's the word? Um, medicine and all this stuff that Chris was using to and and. It could have been, you know, the the marijuana or the cigarettes or the like, the, or the food he cooked or the. It was just sort of this constant stream of of things of like. If you if you're hungry, I'll give you this. If you need medicine, I'll give you, and it was kind of this or overpouring of of stuff. And I think I may have a picture of that of um, kind of some medical supplies off in the corner or something, but it didn't quite fit but I, I wanted something to show that sort of all the stuff that's being given to Scott um, and then the other to me obvious sort of moment is when he passed away the, the final moments of um, and that was early in the morning and I was at home um, and so that you know you never know you don't quite know what the do exact you, moment so. what do you think would have happened if you had just knocked on their door at the moment at that, that moment it was happening do you think do you think chris would have let you in that's i well i think chris would have i don't think the hospice nurse would have cuz she was there at that time too cuz she was the one that said if you want to see him get in there now it's mm-hmm. it's 
going to be soon. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good question. I think Chris would have. I mean, I was at such a level of comfortability with them that um, we shared some times. I mean, it was the well, and the one picture of um, Chris. <laughs> so in the end, uh, Scott kind of mentally was starting to not be all there. And he said, I'm looking for my mom. I need to find my mom. And Chris and I are going like, well, she's not here. How do we, you know? And Chris had this idea that he had his mom's perfume and sprayed some perfume on this Kleenex or something and gave it to Scott. And then you could just see Scott kind of like perk up a little bit and just like, it's sort of, you know, like, oh my gosh, you found her. How did you find her? And like that was such an intimate moment and being there was like just incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think with that sort of lever- level of, of comfortability, I think Chris would have allowed me to be there. Um, maybe if it was at the exact <laughs> moment, mm-hmm. like that exact moment, Chris would not come to the door and let you know, but if I had been there in the room and then Scott started to pass, I don't think he would have kicked me out or anything. Yeah. So <clears throat> I should I should point out that um, I, I think we need I, I think there should be some kudos given to um, to uh, our 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 bosses. Yes. For giving us um, unprecedented space. <laughs> yes. To do this, I've yep. been here twenty five years and. Um, with the exception of uh, Tim Crone and his uh, mm-hmm. river, his river uh, series, <laughs> Canoe, fantastic, yep. yeah, w- which was fantastic reporting, right? With the exception of, of that, there's been I can think of no other times when, um, you know, one story, yeah, was given four blank pages to tell. I mean, that was six thousand words, thirteen photos. <laughs> yeah, we cleared off. That's. That's normally the health and fitness section of the Sunday Free Press. Mm-hmm. So apologies to people who were looking for their um, <laughs> yoga Mayo, workout. Mayo Clinic uh, <laughs> Ask the Doctor column that day. But, yeah, um, we we thought this was a good um, candidate to just take that space and tell mm-hmm. a story that we thought was worth telling. So I think uh, some some credit should go to uh, Joe Spear and um, Steve uh, Jameson, the publisher, for letting us do that. Definitely. Yeah. What else? Uh, w- uh, what else are you working on, uh, Jackson? Oh, Anything uh, this c- caliber, magnitude? You got any? <laughs> got any other major projects in the works? It's going to take up someone's ah boy Sunday. I don't know. Um, <laughs> the only thing I can think of, and I'm not going to say any names, but um, well, and I don't know if it's even bear fruit at all. So I don't. <laughs> um, but I been trying to talk with someone about uh, they are planning to have uh, top surgery so they are transgender male so transitioning from female to male and he wants to remove his breasts and um, and I one thing I've learned is that that's not a something that's covered by insurance so if a person wants to do that it's out of their own pocket which is a giant 
Yeah, that would be expensive. Yeah. <laughs> Surgery is not cheap, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is why healthcare is such an issue in politics day. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's the only thing I can think of. I mean, we're in the middle of March Madness, and it's a lot of sports. And so, but yeah, we're on the lookout always for stories like this. And mm-hmm. that's why these are great because you don't find them every day. So. All right. Well, I don't have any other questions for you. Let's right. Do you have anything else you want to say about? Uh, no, I mean it, your it, exemplary work. <laughs> I mean, kudos to you too. I mean, you took the time, and like, like I said, there are parts of the story that I didn't even know had happened, and it was such an eye opener, and just added, added added more depth to the story, and like you said, just kind of the the pairing of the words and the photos together kind of put it all there. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe kudos to us. Sure. All right. <laughs> so. Well, thanks, Jackson. Thank you. Thank you.